uh, rather quickly this morning. And so chapter 51, give you some context here. This psalm was written by King David. King David was a man who was king. Um, this was in response to him being confronted on his sin of adultery in which he took another man's wife and then tried to cover that up by um, calling that man to be in a position of war that he knew he would be killed. And so co-signed on his murder. Um, he tried to hide it. He thought he was living free. And then Nathan, Nathan, the prophet of God, came and confronted David. And David wrote this psalm and he wrote this, this song, um, ultimately um, responding to that. Now, as we've said with the psalms, the psalms are not just personal diaries that we're reading, but these were left here by the Holy Spirit, inspired by God and his holy scriptures to instruct and to teach us on how we ought to live. Now, though David here is specifically talking about um, sin in which he committed murder and sexual sin, this is broadly um, given to us as the body of, of believers, the people of God, to, to instruct us on how we must come to the Lord with confession. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning, and that's the back, backdrop and context of Psalm 51. So um, the first point here is when it comes to confession, ultimately we have to understand that there has to be moments in our lives where we just acknowledge that we need God. I mean, think about it. When's the last time you needed God? Not like, I know I'm supposed to say that, I need God all the time, but you know you needed God, whether it, it was a, a situation in your life or in David's case, a moment where you needed God to enter into your mess, God to enter into your brokenness. And what we see here is that confession in itself is a means in which God meets us, a means in which God dispenses his grace to us. And so David first starts off by appealing to the character of God and praying for mercy. Verse 1, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. The first thing he says is, Lord, have mercy on me. Now, here's what he's doing. He's not just like guessing that God is merciful. As many writers in the Bible and men and women in the Bible is that they, they go back to what they know to be true of God as what has been revealed to them from God's word. So, so if you go earlier in the scriptures, there's a man named Moses and who's walking with God and he asked God after being with God for many, many years, God, what is your name? Can I, can I, can I see your glory? And so in Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 and 7, God gives him his name. And so the Lord passed before him, him being Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the, fa on, of the fathers on the children and the children's children, to the third and fourth generation. So he knows this God is merciful and he's slow to anger, meaning he's not just quick to get after. But he forgives and he forgives and he forgives, but he doesn't have to. That he's still God whether he forgives David or not. He's still good whether he forgives or not. He's still just whether he forgives or not. So David appeals to him on his character. So when it comes to our confession, first and foremost, we have to know to whom are we confessing. What is this God like? How does he respond? What is his character like? Even before that, we got to confess. Because oftentimes we, we have stuff in our lives that we've not told a soul, nor have we given to God. And, and if we do begin to tell people, we just kind of give them a very, 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 very smidges of the truth. Like, I, I did some stuff, man. I need to tell you, man, I've been doing some stuff. What you been doing? Some stuff. What kind of stuff? Man, bad stuff, right? And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. come on now. And, and you can go before the Lord and, and appeal to his mercy and say, Lord, because of who you are, God, 
Would you have mercy on me? Will you show me that steadfast love, that loyal love that you have, this abundant mercy that you have that the scriptures let us know is new every day. So he appeals to the character of God. First and foremost, we've got to know that we're coming to a God who's merciful and a God who is willing, willing and able to be gracious and slow to anger to forgive us. So we pray for mercy. The second thing we see here in, in David's prayer is not just a prayer for mercy, but a prayer for um, forgive, being forgiven and also to be cleansed. Read with me in verse 2. He says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Behold, you, I mean, verse 7 here, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Now, we, we have to under, understand about why he's saying these things. Um, the forgiveness part we may get. God is the one who forgives. He's the one who uh, provides the forgiveness for us. But he, but he says, wash me white as snow. We sang that song earlier. Wash me white as snow. Purge me with hyssop. Why does he need to be clean? Why do we need to ask for cleansing? Well, what we have is this understanding that God is holy. That means he's completely other. And his holiness in some ways, is an absolute threat to you and I because we are not holy. We are not pure. There's impurities with us. And the closer we get to that holiness, um, the dangerous it gets for us. And yet God desires to be with us. And so what you have is this, this God gives them laws and laws and laws throughout the Old Testament of what it's like to come before his presence and worship. And when they would come before his presence, there were ceremonial laws that they would have externally to say, do not come into the presence of God unless you are clean. Now, it didn't cleanse the heart, but it was ceremonially saying, God, we know that you can. And so there was, a, um, there was um, laws and rites that they would do to be able to come before a holy God. And David's saying, you got to go deeper. God, you have to cleanse me. In fact, the picture of this that we see is how God's holiness transforms is if you see in, in Isaiah chapter 6, there's this beautiful picture where Isaiah, who's a prophet, he goes into the place of worship and, and, he, and he notices that there's seraphims, these, these interesting um, beings there that are singing, holy, 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 right? Holy, holy, holy. Now, holy, 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 if you said something three times, and if you said something twice in Hebrew, you meant it. If you said something three times, like, you really meant it. Now, those of us who grew up in a particular culture, you, you know what it's like. In my family, we say things like, he, was he good or was he, like, good, good? And, it, and good, good was way better than good, right? And so I've always thought that me and the people of God, we've always been tight, right? And so <laughs> the seraph is saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And Isaiah goes, I'm done. He pronounces a curse upon himself. He goes, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live amongst people with unclean lips. No one is like this. And then it says the seraphim has this, this they, they have these tongues, and they got this, this piece of like fire that they're bringing to him. And he thinks, here it is. Here's my judgment. And it touches his lips, the holiness of God, symbolizing the holiness of God. And what it does is it transforms him. And in that moment of confession, of, of acknowledging where he was, the holiness of God actually brought about purity that it cleansed him of his impurities. What we see here is David saying, Lord, do that to me. Let your holiness ultimately not be dangerous, but let it be the very thing that transforms me. Would you cleanse me? Would you purge me with hyssop? Hyssop was a branch that they would get many branches together, and that was a part of the cleansing that would happen. He's saying, God, will you wash me white as snow that I may be one with you? And so we, we see that when it comes to confession, it's not only just a prayer into God's character, but it's asking God, the only one who's faithful and just to forgive if we confess our sins, to forgive us. But also God himself being the one that cleanses us of our impurities. Not us trying to clean ourselves of us saying, wait a minute, maybe a time goes by, maybe that can come before the Lord. Because we'll try that. 
or maybe if I don't do this particular thing, whatever this particular sin is, whatever this particular bad stuff is, if I don't, if I don't do this enough or as many times, maybe I can come before the Lord. And what David is saying, no, Lord, you have to do something if you want this to happen because I desire it. I need your mercy and I need you to cleanse me and only God can cleanse in the way that he does. So, so we see a prayer for mercy. We see asking for forgiveness and cleansing. And then you get to this next one here and it's owning your sin. Um, look at me with verses three through six here. I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and only you have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and the inward being. You teach me wisdom from the secret heart. You have to own your sin. I mean, it's not anybody else's fault. That you can't come to God and say, well, it was this thing, God, I mean, this person, this girl, this guy something, right? You have to be able to own it yourself. And because what we, what we know to be sure is that sin in itself separates. Like there's a, there's, a, there's a distance, and we'll talk more about that. And so when you own it, you're saying, God, this is me. And David does this. Verse 3, he says, or verse three he says I know my transgressions, my sin is ever before me. There's not a man or a woman in this room that hasn't had that, that sin loop, you know, where it feels like it's just playing in your head over and over and over and over again. Like, no one has to tell you that you've done wrong, right? So, so every so often, people will come to me and say, hey, man, can I confess something to you? And I'm like, yeah, sure, it'd be great. And they'll confess something that's usually really painful or something that they've done and, um, and almost look at me like, are you going to say something? And I usually just say, thanks for sharing that. You didn't have to tell me that. I appreciate that. Can I pray with you? Um, you know, in that moment, I don't go, hey, you know that's wrong, right? <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> But like I, that, like that, like it's like that'd be like the over. Like, are you kidding me right now? One, there is this third person of the Holy Trinity, called called the Holy Spirit, who has already convicted that woman or that man, who has led them to a point where they wanted to confess. Right. So we don't need to play that role. Um, realize that in your marriage, in your relationships, in your friendship, there is a third person of the Holy Trinity. He's the Holy Spirit. He brings about conviction in people's lives. They say you remember things if you say them three times. There is a third person in the Holy Trinity. He's the Holy Spirit, and he brings about conviction. It's his job. It's his job, right? And he's good at it. And he's not tapping out. So he doesn't need us to go, oh, man, you should see what God says. Like, like I know what God says about it. There's moments where the Spirit uses us to bring about light into the people's um, lives because they're living in darkness. But when someone is in darkness, it's just like I'm stepping through the light. Don't push them back into the darkness. Right? So he says, I know my sin, Lord. And he says this, verse 4, against you and only you have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now, when he says that, David is, David is not saying, oh, when, I, when, when we sin against God or people, it's, it's really only God, not people. He's not saying that. And actually, by saying sin against God and God only, he's not, he's not saying that the offense that actually happened against people is less. In fact, he says, no, no, no. Understand this. When you sin against people, you are sinning against a holy God, and it offends him. That God tethers himself to the plight of his people. So when you sin against your neighbor, your brother, your sister, your friend, that you are sinning against God. And he says, against you and you only have I sinned. I understand my sin against you, God. And then he continues here. He says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now, he's not talking about the lifestyle that his mom had. Um, he is saying, by nature and choice, I am a sinner. 
that, I am, that my sin separates me. You don't become a sinner when you sin. You sin because you are a sinner. You are acting out the brokenness that is in you and me and everybody in this world. And he's saying, God, and he's not saying, I didn't have a choice. It's your fault. He goes, no, no, it's still my fault. I'm acknowledging how deep this situation goes. And then this part is probably the hardest part for those of us who've been walking with the Lord. He says, verse 6, behold, I delight in truth in the inward being. And you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. What he's saying here is, I know what you like, God. And I know what you desire. I know you're for my good. And I still sin against you. Like, I know better than this moment. Like, you know, no one had to tell me. Like, I, I, there are some people who do things, find out what the scriptures say, oh, didn't know that, turn. He's going, I knew exactly what I ought not to be doing, and I did it anyway. And so there's a mercy of God. I know you're the God of mercy and grace. And you pray, Lord, I know you're the one who can forgive, and you're the one who can cleanse me. And God, I'll, I'll also know that you are the one, um, I am the one who brought sin to this. Like, I I, I, I brought this. This is my issue. This is completely upon me, and this is on nobody else but me. And so you, you have to be able to own your sin in that and not put it on anybody else. Hear me. Your past matters. The context in which you were raised matters. The things of other people's ungodliness and brokenness done upon you matters. And it oftentimes provides the context for you to act out. I, I'm, not den- I'm not denying that at all, and neither should you. But at some point, you have to look at your own heart and go, yeah, this context was set up and that didn't go my way and this didn't go my way at all. But you can't always sit there and go, well, then it's other people's fault. God's going, if, you, if that's where you're going to be, you'll never be able to run to a Savior because you have to believe you're a sinner in order to have a need for a Savior. And so, so, so David, David, David says, listen, like this is, this is on me. And then he transits the last one here is the last point here is prayer for, for personal renewal here to be restored. And so I'm going to start in verse 8. He says, let the bone, excuse me, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bone that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out, excuse me. Yeah, hide your face from my sins and blot out from my iniquities. Here's what he's saying here. Um, When he says, let me hear joy and gladness and let the bones that you have uh, broken rejoice, he's saying, that's what sin does. Like, if you have that experience where your bones are wasting away, right, and, 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 we have David talking about this in Psalm 32 as well. And he's saying, bring it back to joy. Like, take the, the, the reality of sin. Like, sometimes God in his infinite love for us will allow um, his weight and holy pressure to lay upon us that we feel it. That we know something's not right. And it ought not to continue this way because of the way in which we're living. And he's saying, okay, Lord, I get it now. Um, take it away and let these bones rejoice again in you. Like, this was me Take it away, restore me. Well, he continues here. I want you to jump to verse 11. He says, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Now, some of you um, little mini theologians in here are going to go, well, technically, you know, in the New Testament, you can't take the Holy Spirit away and God would never do Listen, listen. All right. Dave is not writing a theolog- theological book here. Right? He is talking to instruct us. And what he's saying here is the worst thing that can happen here is not that God doesn't do something within the circumstances in which David is created because of his sin. He's saying the worst thing that can happen here is that I'm separated from God. That there's an exile that happens because that's what sin does. And that's what it creates. So 
if you look at the beginning of the Bible, the first story that we read about is Adam and Eve. They sin against God, and they're exiled from the garden. There is a separation experienced, even though God is still present with them. They don't, they don't feel present with the Lord. They, they hide behind um, fig leaves and so forth. There's an exile. When you see throughout the scriptures, when the people of God sin and sin and sin and sin, God exiles them into a foreign land where they're not in the place where they were called to worship God. That part of judgment is exile from God and a sensing of his presence. And David says, this happens in our lives in our sin. So he says, please don't, don't send the spirit away. Like we get that, that, that distance. We even get that relationally. Like if you're dating somebody, you're married to somebody, and, or just have a relationship with somebody, um, or a relationship that hasn't been defined yet, whatever, right, is that you have that distance. And if you ever gone on a date, especially with the spouse, um, if you ever gone on that date where you, you, you got a babysitter, and you just argued, and you've been arguing like crazy, and the babysitter comes, and it's time for you to go on the date. I'm not saying this has happened to me. And, and you sit down, and you're eating, and the whole time, like, there's no relationship there, right? It's like, and you're here like, I hope she, I mean, I hope whoever that person is um, sees what she did. And the whole time you're eating, you're not really enjoying the food, and, like, no one's talking. The, wait, the waiter or the waitress come, do you want water? Yeah, I want my water, yeah. Yeah, ask her to, All right? And then you're just doing it, right? And then, like, you get done eating, and you leave, and you're like, oh, I thought you were going to pay. <sighs> right? And then and you, you just get out of there. And there's, there's just something there of the distance, right? There's, like, a distance there. And then if you're like me, you go deeper into this, and you go, you have the question of going, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Every week we come and we gather together on a Sunday, and then we're going to respond and we're going to say how this bread is the broken body of Jesus. And we dip it into the wine, which is the shed blood of Jesus. And he forgives us our sin, past, present, and future. If that's the case, then why do we need to have daily confession? That if God has already forgiven us, then why? Like even David, David already knows that he's forgiven. So why write Psalm 51? Right? I want you to put up that, that passage with uh, 2 Samuel chapter uh, 12, verse 13. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan, the prophet, working on behalf of the Lord, says to David, the Lord has also put, your, um, put away your sin. You shall not die. Then why is David writing this? If Christ has already been crucified and his blood was shed and I have trusted in Christ and he's forgiven my sins, past, present, and future, why do I continue to uh, confess sin? Why do I need to? All right, so there is such a thing called uh, judicial forgiveness or positional forgiveness, and there's relational forgiveness. Um, judicial forgiveness is that there's a penalty on our heads because of our actions and sin. Jesus comes and becomes a substitute on our behalf and bears the penalty of our sin, and so now legally God cannot punish us for our sin because he's already punished Christ. In fact, as hard as it and weird as it is to sound, he would, be un he would be an unjust God to punish us for our sin because he's already punished Christ on our behalf. It would be exacting two payments. And so judicially, we are forgiven past, present, and future. That's a beautiful, beautiful truth. But then there's relational, that ongoing relationship with God. We don't want to have a relationship with the judge. We want to be with the Father. And when we, when we talk about confession being a means in which God dispenses his grace, it's like a, think about a dad and a son. If the son disrespects and sins against his dad after picking his butt off the ground, uh, what he needs to do is, is he, 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 he needs to ask for forgiveness. Now, at no point in sinning against his father does he cease to be a son. He's always a son because his father is his father. But the relationship, it's fractured there. 
And the, the confession and the forgiveness actually heals the relationship. So when, when David goes to the, to the Lord, he's asking for mercy and, and asking for forgiveness and cleansing. And at this point, he's asking for renewal. And the renewal is the renewal of the relationship. And he says this, probably the best verse in all of chapter 51. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. A spirit that does exactly what you want, meaning it's not just the forgiveness that I want, it's the transformation. I don't want just the circumstances to be dealt with. I want you. Like, I, I want the relationship. I want a right spirit. But the word I want to point out here is the word create. You see, in the very beginning of the Bible, we see that God creates out of nothing. And he creates beauty and joy and flourishing and justice and so forth. And then what you have, another word is called, um, that is to create, is the creating that we do. So if you take this stand here, um, God created the seed that started a tree. That's something that God can do. And then we can take the tree and, in an environmentally friendly way, chop it down, and then, and then we could make a wooden stool. That's a saw. So God creates bara out of nothing. We create out of the raw materials that God has created, and that's a saw. When he uses the word create here, he's not using the word asa, meaning something that's already there. He's acknowledging the nothingness that is in him and saying, God, do in me and my soul what you did in this whole world and place, because of your sovereign goodness and love, place in me beauty, place in me justice, place in me harmony, place in me flourishing that can only come from you. Would you do this, the Lord? Like that is a beautiful prayer. God, create in me out of nothing something that's very beautiful. Don't leave me as someone who sins and just understands that I'm forgiven. Make me more like you. Let me join in in what you are doing. Help me see the flourishing not just in my life but those around me. Help me not only turn from my wicked ways, but, Lord, let me do the good in which you've called me to do. Let me not just know what I ought not to do, but to obey with the joy in which you give. And God, would you do this because of your absolute, pure, sovereign love? He's saying, restore me, renew me only in the way that you can. And what we see is there's a result from this. And the result that we have from this is what David concludes with all of this. He says, okay, here's what this is going to look like. Then, verse 13, once this happens, then I will teach the transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Meaning, I'm going to work on your behalf, God. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, my God of salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. Verse 17, the sacrifices of our God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. And then he concludes with saying, be good to the people. Do good in Zion and your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. And then will you delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. And then bulls will be offered on your altar. What, what he's saying is once I respond to you, I'm going to tell others. I'm going to do what right worship looks like. Respond to God's acts in praise, he says, and also in loving and caring and discipling others. That's what the right response looks like. It's praise to God for who he is and what he has done and giving ourselves to others. And he acknowledges, Lord, would you do good to our community? Because he realized one sin actually affects the whole. It's not just a bunch of individuals, but we actually make up a whole. And then the, the picture, he says, this is what God wants. And all of this in our confession, verse 17, a broken and contrite 
Spirit, listen. The only way that we are a people who have a posture of being broken and contrite is only by looking to the cross of Jesus Christ. That if you can look to the cross of Christ in which God himself has given us the ultimate right sacrifice, and you can see that it was your sin that nailed him to the cross and that he stood in your place and he's given you his righteousness and his blood is cleansing you, that it's now the one thing that is transforming you, that the holiness of God is something you shouldn't be freaked out about, but something you can lovingly revere. That, that when you look and you gaze in the face of Jesus and all that he's done for you and you're not broken and contrite, you may not understand that you're a sinner and therefore Jesus for you is not a savior. But when you understand that you are broken, you are separated, and it's your fault, and you need his mercy, and you know that the only renewal in, cre- in creation that can happen in you, that you would be right with God, can happen from him, and then you walk in a posture, a posture not just individually, but as a people. And we're constantly people who desire to be broken and contrite because we constantly are in need of help, and our God meets that need for us in Jesus. Amen? So we're going to pray, and then we're going to um, confess this together. Um, these points as, as we did last week. And so I want you guys to buy your heads. Father, we thank you for this time. We ask that you would lead us in a moment of confession. You, le- you lead us in a time, Lord, in which we can come before you in honest truth. This message is not a message for somebody else, Lord. Somebody else didn't need to hear this. We needed to hear it. God, I, I, I ask right now that you'd bring a heavy sense of conviction and that you'd lift it with your grace. That we'd understand that our guilt can, can be brought to you, that you can hold it. In Christ's name, Lord. Amen. We're going to spend some time. And last week we talked, we prayed corporately. Today we want you to pray by yourself. And we're going to spend about 15 seconds on each one of these prayers, just praying to the Lord. The first one is that prayer of praying for mercy and praying to the character of God. Like you have to know God. And so the first prayer is ask God to have mercy on you, a sinner. Simple as that. Go ahead. The second prayer is everything to do with being forgiven and being cleansed. Now, there are many of us who have an idea of God's forgiveness, but we don't walk around as people who are clean because we look more at our sin than we do it as our Savior. And a message like today is not for you to dwell in your sin, but to acknowledge it and acknowledge its effects, that it may lead you to the promise and the beauty that we have in our Savior Jesus. And so we just pray right now that God would give you the covering and the sense of the covering that you are cleansed and that his blood is transforming you and that you would walk as free people. This next one has... Just be as open and as honest and as explicit as you can about your sin and confessing it to the Lord. And don't hold anything back to him. lastly, make a prayer that the Lord himself would bring about the flourishing 
and the beauty and the joy in your life through the work of Jesus, that God would renew you and the prayers that God would renew you personally.